You are listening to Curious Cat, a podcast that examines the shadowy space where science and the supernatural collide. And I'm your host, Jennifer Holtz. Join me every week as I examine what it means to be a soul in a meat suit. Welcome to Curious Cat. Hello, and thank you for listening to Curious Cat. If you've been listening since season one, first off, thank you. Hopefully you've noticed a pattern by now. I only cover topics that interest me. Sometimes it's a veiled excuse to buy three books on a subject I'd never heard of a week ago and obsess over it for a short time. This week, I'm getting personal. Trigger warning for any sensitive listeners because I'm going to share with you the ways I found to cope during the toughest year of my life to date. I hope by the conversation's conclusion, I've given you some effective and positive ways to work through your toughest days. I care. I want you to know you're not alone. You won't find fakery here, only a pursuit of real solutions. So let me start with telling you about my toughest year a time when Judge Judy and Chardonnay weren't adequate to get me through. So I've always enjoyed doing Legos, bright, colorful pieces, simple instructions, cool final results. But in the days after my father was hospitalized, those plastic bricks became a lifeline of sorts. But as usual, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll back up a little further. After my father was hospitalized, and driven four hours inland from his home for treatment, my cell phone was in constant use. Lengthy text threads, quick updates, internet searches of technical medical terms I didn't understand, WebMD research on kidney disease. Often by noon, the battery of my phone was drained. I'd plug into charge and connect to keep up to date on his current condition, relaying questions listening to summaries of calls mom had with nurses and the occasional doctor. This was an end-of-life situation developing during a global pandemic. By four in the afternoon, I was wrung out like a bartender's towel, worn, empty, head spinning, heart sore. I needed a way to absorb the truth of this moment in my own time while also summoning up the grit it would take to keep moving forward with all of my senses open to what was happening. One day, I caught myself turning up the volume on the television to mask the sound of my crying. Judge Judy presided. I wiped down my face with a paper towel, and it hit me that this wasn't helping. Even the dog-bitten plaintiffs and disgruntled parade of ex-girlfriends and landlords weren't enough to distract me from my pain. That moment helped me understand that I wasn't seeking distraction, just something else to pour my physical self into as my body and brain absorbed the truth of the situation with my father. My hands. I needed to use my hands to make something, maybe making art would help. So I brought out my micron pens and paper, and I tried to sketch, 
like even a simple sunflower quickly devolved into this tortured lump of junk. I toss it in the recycle can with other awful failed drawings. Then I turn to editing. What about editing my manuscript? I mean, not coming up with original material, but just like going through the words. I frittered away at the the manuscripts, but it went about as well as you'd expect, with my brain just not into it, my heart not into it either. Desperate, I remembered the tall cabinet in the media room that held lots of games and craft materials. Oh, and puzzles. Could a puzzle work? I sorted through the boxes and realized that this was my favorite Christmas season tradition. Spread a new puzzle out in the family room to be built over conversations from December through New Year's Eve. Sorry, but the vibe was not Yule cheer. Behind them, though, in the cabinet, I spied this Harry Potter Lego set. I pulled it out poured a glass of Chardonnay, and began to build a chunk of Hogwarts Castle over the course of the next week. There was something about cutting open a bag, sorting pieces by hue, then following instructions that gave me comfort. It reduced my anxiety from a level 8 or 9 to a high-functioning 3, or for so for a few hours at least afterward. The action of doing something methodical stopped my fear loop in its tracks. As I stacked, clicked, and connected, the events of the day would replay at a slower speed behind my eyes. I was able to gain an objectivity for a short time and this clarity that comes with that wider scope view. Restored, I jumped back into the family text threads with a sense of how I actually felt about the situation, no longer reacting like a trapped animal, and in true no-filter Sagittarius fashion, I spoke my mind. As the weeks wore on, I completed Lego sets, finishing the entire massive Hogwarts castle. If you were to lick a random Lego brick on that project, though, you'd find it coated in the salty residue of my tears. I sat at the end of the kitchen island, glad for an excuse to keep my eyes averted as people came through the kitchen space and asked about dad. I could cry right out in the open. But with Hogwarts complete, I opened up a gift from my husband, Diagon Alley. This massive kit was comprised of six shops that interconnected. For a long time after Dad died, I could hardly stand to look at the thing, especially the garish orange and purple Weasley Wizard Wheezes shop. I built that in the days after Dad announced he'd be coming home to die. I put together the jokey hat-tipping exterior as I wondered out loud if I was strong enough to travel home to be next to my father as he slipped out of this world and into the great beyond. I wasn't. I couldn't. I can't. I won't. I must. In direct light, that tiny structure probably glistens with the salted crystal coating that I added to it. But when I made that final decision to travel home, 
I hurried to complete the entire set. I would need to find a new hobby for grieving, wouldn't I? Surely I'd spoiled Lego building. I returned to Seattle after Dad passed and poured myself into writing. I pushed away the wine glass for a long time because for me at least, grief and alcohol mixed into this emotional Molotov cocktail. I'm a mother. I am a wife. I am still a daughter. I need to live. A month and a half after dad's death and my husband gave me a stack that nearly touched the ceiling of every Harry Potter Lego set at the time. Like running into the arms of my old elementary school teacher with the crinkly lines on her face from smiling, I was overwhelmed with that familiar kind of love, like the smell of cinnamon toast, and I opened a fresh set, cut the top off of bag number one, and I built. Manipulatives, in fact, have been proven by researchers to help ADHD sufferers, increasing attention and reducing anxiety. Something as simple as chewing a piece of gum can do the trick. Here's the latest data about this. From a recent edition of Woman's World magazine comes an article titled, Taking Up This Popular Hobby Finally Eased One Woman's Chronic Anxiety. Of course, the links are in the show notes for you if you want to read the whole thing yourself. But in it, Jan Gates struggled with clinical anxiety for years and had relied on prescription drugs to balance her mood. Then she discovered a new hobby that gave her such a deep sense of calm, she was able to get off the meds for good. A fitness professional facing the isolation of the pandemic and limited activity necessary to recover from knee surgery, her medication was not enough to manage her fears and stress. Desperate, she remembered the jigsaw puzzle her sister had sent her before the surgery. Quote, besides helping to pass time, Jan had been amazed at how working on the puzzle, she didn't feel any pain. She'd ordered more and worked on them throughout their, that month. She loved the challenge of finding and fitting the pieces and the feeling of accomplishment when she finished one. End quote. She wondered if the puzzles were really helping her anxiety. She read positive studies that found doing puzzles has a positive effect on the brain, increasing short-term memory and problem-solving abilities, while encouraging the production of dopamine, the neurotransmitter that regulates mood and affects concentration and motivation. Dr. Susan Vandermorris said, Doing a puzzle is immersive and disconnects you from the stresses of day-to-day life. More completed puzzles, and soon, Jan noticed the puzzle work seemed to manage her anxiety better than her medication. Consulting with her doctor, they weaned her dosage down from 75 milligrams to 37 milligrams with the ultimate goal to be drug-free if possible. In an NIH study on jigsaw puzzling, it was found the activity helped prevent dementia. It also has measurable leisure palliative coping benefits. In other words, puzzling gives people a breather from stress, which may result from its focused attentional demands that enables psychological timeouts from stressors. Jigsaw puzzling can serve as a mood enhancement through fun, flow, and mastery experiences as well. 
they are only now looking closer at the effect of puzzling on cognitive aging. How cool would it be if puzzling, building models or Legos, actually reversed aging of our brains? That would be fantastic. And maybe one day our medical insurance would provide coverage for, say, my Lego addiction. But how could this be? Well, chronic stress has a negative effect on our health. That's no surprise, right? The body reacts to psychological stress by releasing hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. Those hormones can increase blood pressure and the heart rate. They can uh, cause our bodies to hold on to fats. They also affect the immune system. Chronic stress contributes to conditions such as heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. It worsens mental health conditions such as anxiety and depression. So do jigsaws reduce stress? Well, according to wisevibes.com, there is no one-size-fits-all answer to this question as the stress-reducing benefits of jigsaw puzzles may vary depending on the individual. I mean, fair enough, but many people find that working on a jigsaw puzzle can help clear the mind and provide a sense of calm. In addition, the act of piecing together a puzzle can be a meditative and therapeutic activity that can help to reduce those stress levels. That can be really damaging, right? Some are wondering if puzzles can help with insomnia. Research suggests that doing puzzles may help improve sleep quality in individuals with insomnia. One study found that completing a puzzle before bedtime, not completing but working on it, led to better sleep efficiency and less time spent awake during the night. Another study found that people that do puzzles before bedtime fall asleep faster and experience better sleep quality overall. Puzzle building also helps improve memory and concentration. It kind of goes back to those infant studies about dementia and they're having a positive impact on um, dementia. Soon after my father was hospitalized um, and he wasn't able to have anyone at the hospital to advocate for him and he was blind. Feeling helpless, I decided my best course of action was to travel home to provide support for my mother. I tucked an old Disneyland puzzle into my suitcase, and we laid out that thousand or so pieces across the kitchen table once I got home. It gave our fingers something to do as we sat there fielding calls from family and friends or listen to nurses give updates, or talk to dad throughout the day and evening. That puzzle remained on the table, even through the days of home hospice. Countless fingers were searching for pieces to finish an edge or a section, maybe a chunk of the monorail. When dad died, we circled the kitchen table where his walker and insulin kit sat at his place of honor like a makeshift memorial. I found I could no longer tolerate the sight of that puzzle. The cardboard was steeped in angst. The collective emotional roller coaster we'd been on, hopeful, optimistic, confused, angry, disheartened, hopeful again, 
happy when dad came home and now this grief stricken. We should throw this away, I said. The others agreed and out it went. It had served its purpose. So I wanted to tell you about an article called Six Neuroplasticity Exercises for Anxiety Relief. I hadn't known about the magic effect puzzle building had on anxiety at the time that I brought that Disney puzzle home, but I'm glad for the higher guidance. I'm not sure if it was something I'd read long ago and stored somewhere in my brain for this moment, but this article tells me why it works so well. The brain is an evolving mystery. Scientists are learning more about its operation each day, agreeing the brain is a beautiful thing, and agreeing it's a complex learning machine that helps us to navigate many of life's challenges. But one source wonders if it's a little too good at keeping us safe. Arguing the brain is so efficient that it can make us hyper alert and anxious when in fact we are safe. So in Psych Central's um, article um, that I was telling you about, Six Neuroplasticity Exercises for Anxiety Relief, they say with intention and repetition, neuroplasticity exercises could become a great tool for anxiety relief. So first, what's neuroplasticity? This is the brain's ability to create new neural pathways. In other words, the brain can rewire itself and adapt to pain. In the past, researchers believed the brain was hardwired by our early 20s, and that was it. But now they've discovered the brain does not stop regenerating, growing, and reorganizing. That's good news because I was told as a kid that smelling rubber cement was killing my brain cells and I only had so many. That's not actually true anymore. Ha. Says Sam Zand, a clinical psychiatrist based in Las Vegas, Nevada. When you practice a new or neuroplastic habit, when you do something differently, your brain uses new pathways. The more we practice these new habits, old pathways become weakened. So as you change your behaviors and thoughts, your brain changes. In regards to anxiety, with repetition, your brain creates a default setting around certain triggers. An example might be airplane travel. If you experience a panic attack on a plane, you might be Uh, your, Your brain is primed to repeat that reaction the next time you travel by air. This, explains psychcentral.com, is because our amygdala, the fire alarm of the brain, has been conditioned to induce the fight or flight response after encountering a specific stimulus. This happens even at times when it's not necessarily warranted. This hypervigilance is the old neural pathway in action. So with neuroplasticity exercises, you can create a buffer between the stimulus and your response so that your anxiety isn't as easily induced. So how do you use neuroplasticity to relieve anxiety? Change the script. Dr. Amy Deramus, a clinical psychologist from Chicago, Illinois, says, Neuroplasticity can work against you when your brain is running the same painful anxiety scripts over and over because it learns those scripts and they become automatic. 
She goes on to suggest, if you want to focus on thinking and perception, you can develop new anxiety scripts that tell you a different story, one that makes you feel safe. She gives an example of someone seeing a spider on the wall and it makes them scared. Tell yourself, I can handle this. Here's my plan for dealing with it safely. The brain prunes connections to skills you don't use anymore. And in time, the anxiety scripts become less automatic and easier to resist. Another uh, method is practice challenges. In other words, do the thing you're scared of. Start small though. Like if you're feeling socially anxious, why not sit outside of a coffee shop and observe people? The next day, go inside and order coffee. Then drink it outside where you feel safe. The third day, go inside, order coffee, make one friendly comment to somebody in line, and try to enjoy your coffee there. Baby step your way out of those anxiety-provoking situations into new personal bests. This method builds confidence and it decreases the impact of your distress response. A third way is reality testing. This is a method created by Sigmund Freud and a good way to shift your perspective around experiences that normally make you anxious. So let's go back to that example of the coffee shop. Think back to the last time you were out in public prior to the coffee shop. What was that experience? And be truthful. Did you grocery shop without incident? Well, then your anxiety about being out in public is not based in reality. Let that truth test imbue you with confidence that you've done it before and you can do it again. This method is a way for you to reassess your distorted thoughts. Kind of call BS on yourself. A fourth way is meditation. Oh my God, it wouldn't be a Curious Cat episode if I didn't highlight one of many benefits of meditation, right? Really though, research suggests that meditation practice can grow new gray matter in your brain, which may help improve emotional regulation like symptoms of anxiety and depression. Multiple studies have demonstrated that long-term meditation can reduce inflammation in the brain and cause functional changes, says Priscilla Hidalgo, a psychiatrist in Raleigh, North Carolina. A fifth uh, tact is physical exercise. Researchers are still seeking to understand why exercise magnifies neuroplasticity, but recent studies show that aerobic exercise contributes to changes in the brain structure at every level, molecular, cellular, and systemic. A sixth way is new skills. Carving out time for your hobbies can be a great form of self-care if you suffer from anxiety, but there's another benefit as well. Each time you learn a new skill, you increase your brain's ability to rewire itself. Any new skill will help. Ideas uh, include brain teasers, learning a new language, like using a phone app to learn a few new phrases a day, making art, playing music, doing puzzles and Legos, as I mentioned prior. Traveling is a great way to do that. Math exercises or Sudoku puzzles. Writing with your non-dominant hand. 
completing some of the crossword puzzle in a newspaper. A final note from that Psych Central article reminds us that rewiring the brain takes time. It's not an overnight change, but we can experience relief knowing we are on the right path to restructuring our brains. Neuroplasticity is a marathon, not a sprint, says Hidalgo. It involves the generation of new brain cells and connections between them. After these connections are made, we have to strengthen the connections with repetition and habit. For some, this might take weeks, while others, months. Stick with it and know the changes are happening. After researching the miraculous impact puzzle making has on obliterating anxiety, I got to wondering why. Why does doing something relatively easy reset our brain and alleviate anxiety and fear? I believe it has something to do with the egoic mind and the brain. When we're dealing with hard, sticky, complicated, messy pieces of life, Well, our egoic brain must see itself as inadequate, and I hesitate to use this word, but stupid. So when we demonstrate through simple puzzle building that we are capable, the brain, that egoic mind says, yeah, I'm not a complete loser. Look what I'm building, doing, making, figuring out. And that gasp of fresh air gives the space for our bodies and brain to get out of that fight-or-flight biochemistry that we were stuck in prior. It makes sense to me because all parts of ourselves, from the ego to conscience to subconscious, reside in our brains. That resonates as true to me, but if it doesn't for you, you can let it go. I think sometimes we don't have to know how the car engine works in order to drive the car, you know? Thank you for listening to Curious Cat. Huge gratitude for my art director and audio engineer. If you're in need of those services, please find their links on the show notes. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Until next time, stay curious. I love you. (laughs) 